Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Loga the Barbarian, and I got a special guest with me today, Brian Bowman. Brian is with the United Paizo Workers, and as you all know, we're really excited about what's going on there. I was hoping Brian would come on. Could you tell us a bit how some of that started? I think most of our listeners know that Paizo recently came public. Uh, yeah, sure. So basically about a month ago, I guess it's been about six weeks at this point, I was feeling uh, not very great about how uh, a lot of recent news at the time about Paizo had been uncovered and how it was being taken by by everyone. And I was kind of feeling down about it because I felt good about my coworkers. I felt good about the work that we do. I felt good about the general temperament of the company. And so it was really disheartening um, when all of that stuff was being talked about. And so I was trying to think to myself in my free time, like, like how do I still want to work here? And, and I, I felt, felt like I did, but I, I didn't feel like we could continue on in the way that we had been. So I was looking into unionization and I was looking into how I would go about organizing that, how I would go about making those first steps and get gathering like the core group of people together to then get like, because, you know, you need to be able to both have a tight knit group of people you can trust, but also you need to have enough reach to get as many people that are eligible as you can. And so I was just trying to figure out where to even start with that. Because I know most of the people at the company, at least casually, but I don't work very closely with most of them. So I was stressing about that for two or three days when I got a message from a coworker in a nearby but different department who's like, hey, some of us aren't very happy about how things are right now and we're looking to organize. Would you be interested in something like that? I was like, yes, yes. Wow. I was looking for you. Uh, you know, sign That's me great. up. Yeah. And so, so I got sent a link uh, and I was like, okay, cool. There's going to be like six people in here. And the, that initial hurdle will at least will be past that. And we can start like planning, like, this is great. Like-minded, a couple of people like-minded. I get in there and there's two to three times that many. Oh, already wow. That's in really there. encouraging. That's yeah. really encouraging. That's and, a good start. And, yeah. And that like 180, my whole perspective on that week, obviously like the, the, the bad stuff was still bad, but in terms of my outlook, I was like, oh, right. Yeah. This is why I like working here. I like the people who work here. I like the fact that I wasn't alone in feeling this way. And that while I was just stressing out, trying to figure out how I was going to scrape together a handful of people to get a ball rolling, you know, a dozen other people at the company had already had already gotten that going. And it turned out that there had been this sort of thing in the works for uh, much longer years, in fact, um, but never with enough momentum to kind of get past that initial group of, you know, a couple people just kind of talking about it. But all that galvanized very quickly. Um, and within a week, you know, we had 20 people or so, and we oh. cranked that up to, uh, we cranked that up to just under 40 by a month later. And that's, then some good, the... that's some good progress, pretty good speed there. Mm -hmm. And then we've probably added another five people or so, um, which is about another 10% in the ensuing weeks since we went public. So yeah, it was, it was really just sort of a, 
just sort of an out of the blue, oh, wow, everyone's already doing this. And, and from there, it became much easier for us to all just work together and make it happen. Now, how many workers that are involved are telecommuting versus being in person at a physical mm -hmm. location? And could you give an idea? Like, yeah. Did that impact how you were meeting or anything like that? Definitely. So there were some exceptions because there was that initial period from like May through around May-ish where it was looking like things were going to start opening up again. People were going to start heading back to work. And so there were a couple of initial Basically, the volunteers, people who like going to an office every day because it provides like separation from their personal life or whatever yes. other reasons they have, they were sort of the first, we did like a batch or two, maybe a dozen people. And so they were at the office. And then also, of course, we do our own warehousing at Paiso. So they have to be there. Yeah, have to be on. There's a lot of the jobs I work, you have to be physically be there. So Yeah. So so it's like our warehousing staff is, you know, a, a a solid handful of people. And then there were a couple more handfuls of volunteers that had gone back. Although some of them had returned to home after things started kind of locking down again. But regardless of all that, we were used to for the past 18 months or so doing all of our work, at least online, because even if you were there, you had to talk to people who weren't. So uh, we have a very, we had a very robust set of communication channels already in place that made it easier for different groups of people to talk to each other. And then of course, for the union stuff, we took all of that to, you know, private channels outside of the company's like ownership, but, but yeah, we were already used to doing remote work and communicating with each other long distance for, you know, eight hours a day, every, every work day for 18 months. So I think it actually made it far easier for us to organize than it would have been if we were trying to, you know, huddle together in a parking lot after hours or something like that. Yeah. So that's, that's a big thing up until COVID any, mm -hmm. I've been to a lot of tr like organizer trainings and stuff and everything you've been taught until COVID is very physical space stuff. So yeah. I'm here like, okay, so how does this going to change everything? It sounds like it kind of mm -hmm. works to the benefit. I, it, it sounds like what you're saying, being able to communicate with others outside of the workplace. Cause one in thing is you ways, don't yeah. want to be at work talking about the union right. <laughs> a company yeah. time or a company, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some, some benefits, some drawbacks. Like, yeah, this was actually sort of a sticking point between our, our CWA rep and us, uh, where he was like really big into like, we got to have that meeting. We got to get, you know, super majority. We got to get everybody there and like together in one, like fit, like time and space so we can sign the cards all together. And, and it, it, I could, you know, I could tell, even though I'm not, I haven't been involved in unions prior to this. I could very much tell that there's a very much a sense of getting the people into the space and doing the action together in like a ritualistic way creates a, uh, I don't have the neutral term. Like it creates a a a solid a solidarity movement essentially, yeah. um, and so everybody doing that it kind of strengthens everyone's resolve. And so, so our rep was trying to reproduce that as best they could with long distance tools. Meanwhile, we were like, you know, we, we could just can we just have the link to the union cards? We'll send them out. And we'll get them <laughs> back over a couple of days, and it'll be fine. And. I think we were both right in a way, like the fact that the CWA rep pushed us to like do the meeting and get everybody in there, uh, I think really raised the energy for that initial, that final push and then the initial days of being public, which was hugely helpful. But, you know, the people who put us over the top and made our supermajority completely 
invulnerable, essentially, were people who couldn't make the meeting, who we sent out, you know, links to after the fact said, mm-hmm. as soon as you can. And, you know, we got a cup, we got three to six of those back in, which really took us from the, we have a majority, but it's still dangerous because a concerted union busting effort could reduce that versus, wow, we just really you know, blown it out of the water because it doesn't take that many people uh, when our eligible size is our eligible hop, uh, population of workers is only about 50 people. So, yeah. And a lot of people, I think when they hear about union organizing, they're thinking mm-hmm. about massive factories and things yeah. like that. And they're not often thinking about smaller workplaces where there's less than a hundred people or 50 people there. Right. Uh, could you speak to the size of the company at all and how do you think that that impacted the organizing positively or negatively or how people perceived that? I think the fact that we were smaller helped us a lot. Um, we're just large enough and just specialized enough to the point where like you, it, it seems like it'd be very difficult to run a union of like five people, even if they're skilled people, like it's just not uh it just doesn't seem very viable. Um, but obviously the larger you are, the more difficult an organized effort becomes. So I think our small size was a large part of why we were able to go from first major efforts at like actually building this into a thing that we were going to take public to actually doing that was only four weeks and then another week to have public recognition. Um, and so I think a lot of that has to do with us being kind of almost I don't want to generalize more than I should, but like almost the perfect size. Like I struggle to think about how having more people would have helped us or how having less, fewer people would have helped us. Um, it kind of seemed like we were right at that sweet spot where we were able to garner a large number of people to support the movement without it getting mired down in, uh, it, you know, at some point when you're large enough, it becomes a question of, how do we even communicate with like this team that is way over there and completely unrelated to like our situation? And so that was kind of nice. Everybody at the company, most of the grievances and goals and priorities of the union are shared across the company, regardless of our individual departments. And I think that's huge because we only have a handful of warehouse staff. We only have a few handfuls of tech staff. We only have a handful of customer service. There's all these small segments. So if we didn't have that common ground, we really wouldn't be able to organize very effectively. Do you think you could speak real quick to some of the some of the areas of common ground that you were able to find? Because a lot of people assume that the big thing is usually like money. Now that's often a thing, but there's I know I some of the biggest things, one of the biggest organizing campaign I was a part of, one of the biggest things that was being fought for was parking. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, especially like downtown or something. And well, this was a university and people had to park oh. miles away from the, the schools yeah. and the buildings and they couldn't get into where they were working. Yeah. They had to walk miles and there was no busing early in the morning for a lot of those workers. So things like that, like parking yeah. became a really important thing to them. Yeah. And sometimes yeah, just, mm-hmm. what we're fighting for isn't a lot of times people just make assumptions that, like I said, it's just pay. I'm not going to say pay isn't, yeah, give me a raise. (laughs) But there's often a lot of things that people are are really fighting for outside of that. Could you think speak to some of that stuff at all? Yeah. So, so Paizo is in kind of a a unique, not unique necessarily position, but like it's generally accepted in the tabletop RPG community that profits are not especially high surpluses are not 
generally that uh, that common um, to a large degree. But it's also unequivocally true that most people at Paizo don't get paid a living wage in the Seattle area, but they are required to, to work here. So the easiest, so, so we haven't made any demands really of any kind yet because we're still putting together our representative team to do the negotiating. And we want to incorporate as many of the people who maybe didn't get reached out to right away and get them incorporated and get their ideas and their goals uh, represented as well. So we haven't made a set of formal demands yet, but we did define, we, we did declare at least our three most significant goals or, or pain points, uh, you could call them, uh, yes. issues that we don't necessarily have a proposed solution for, but that we want to be on the table as clear issues. And the most obvious and simplest of that is most of the staff at Paizo is underpaid, whether that's relatively for the area or even just their re pay relative to their starting time uh, when compared against inflation, that sort of thing. And so part of that is, uh, so, so part of one of our goals is more pay equity, cost of living increases, uh, and more transparency about pay in general, things like salary bans posted on job openings, general salary bans for specific titles and, and departments of work, that sort of thing, just more structure to it, uh, because right now it's very wild west. But, but that's just the money side of things. Uh, there's, there's sort of a related thing, which is um, this whole remote work thing, uh, which has been very up in the air over the last six months or so. The company has committed to work from home through the remainder of 2022, or sorry, 2021, through the end of this year, but they haven't that's as far as we know. And while some people do like coming into the office, a lot of people have grown very accustomed to working from home and have appreciated the fact that they're not spending a lot on gas or on public transit, appreciating that they're getting back 10 hours a day in commute times. Because you know, if you don't make much money, then you end up having to live a long commute distance away. And in some cases, you know, people who didn't live here had to move out here because they were told that they absolutely had to come out here to work locally. That doesn't fix anything for anybody here right now, but I think there's just a general sense of that wasn't fair, especially because there are some workers who don't work locally. And so that inconsistency is frustrating. So there's a push for, hey, if you, maybe you can't give us a bunch more money, but maybe you can at least make sure that we're getting raises that are commensurate with inflation. And maybe you can at least not make us work in a very expensive region, especially since we've had a year and a half to prove that we are as productive or in some departments cases, I believe Eric Mona is on the record saying we may have been more productive over the past year and a half than we traditionally have been. So that's another, that's kind of the second factor is, boy, it would be nice if, you know, if you can't pay us all that much more, maybe we can at least live places that are cheaper. And then finally, more generally, there's been a real sense, I think, at Paizo among the working staff that there's been a lack of transparency, not just about finances, but just the company's medium-term and long-term uh, strategy about the efforts they intend to take towards uh, increasing revenues or in cutting costs and a lack of communication with the departments 
that have very important perspectives regarding those topics. And so a major goal is to have better representation across the company in executive decisions, as well as better communication coming back out from those executive meetings about things rather than just getting things dropped on our laps at the very last minute and being asked to, to implement them, having them actually planned out in advance and have our feedback incorporated into it. Because um, I'm, on, I'm on the tech team, for example, and it is really, really important to my, our team in general and my job specifically, uh, like I need to know, are we coming back to the office ever? Are we, I, I like, I need to know, so I know whether to buy hardware or get it in the cloud for specific applications. Are we looking to downsize our office if we're not going to have people come back to work on a, on a regular basis again? I don't know. And so it's difficult for me to make recommendations and, and like make decisions about how to plan out our infrastructure needs into the future, because I have no idea in some cases what that future looks like. And the reverse is also true. No one has asked as far as I know, no one's asked me specifically, but also as far as I know, no one has really asked tech, what considerations of yours do we need to incorporate in deciding whether to downsize the office, bring people back? Like no one, no one, as far as I know, no one has asked us to run numbers on what kind of costs that would mean for our department if they were to go one way or versus the other. And so there's sort of a sense, and, and this is true because that's just the example I know personally, this is true across the company in general, as far as what I've heard from other people. And so it's a real sense of how are you making good decisions if you aren't asking the relevant people for at least the information you would need to make informed decisions about those things. There's a real sense, I think, that a lot of the executive team hasn't, if, if they haven't realized that they need to know it and that they don't know it, then they won't ask and they won't solicit that list of things they don't know that they don't know on their own. So it really becomes sort of a trying to like make sure that you're on their radar so that they don't forget to consider this important thing that they may not be thinking about because, you know, they're human, they're busy people. They have their own areas of personal interest and focus that don't always overlap with other departments. So so those, so to, to recap, because I kind of went off on a tangent there. Oh, uh, that's great. No, you're we're, fine. Yeah, we're we're really focusing on 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 pay equity, transparency, and improved wages, generally speaking, uh, looking into permanent or at least more formally structured work from home options uh, or possibly out of state work options as as possible, um, and then also better transparency um, in both directions regarding. Uh, company plans going forward. Those are the those are the things that we polled. I think we had about thirty people at the time we polled, and those were universe like across the board. Everyone wanted those things as like their number one, number two kind of things. Um, we haven't done repolling, but generally the vibe that we've gotten has been those are consistently the biggest issues. Um, and then there's you know a dozen or two dozen other important issues that are a little bit more, a little bit more isolated to specific departments or specific people. And of course, those are part of what we want to accomplish as well. But the, the three core things are, are those that I just mentioned. Well, thank you very much for your time. 
that was it's been great having you on i would yeah if you're ever available in the future, I'd love to hear updates. It's it's, wow. it's great and encouraging to hear that. I'm a huge, mm -hmm. I'm a huge role playing nerd, and mm -hmm. to see this happening in the role playing industry makes me thrilled. I'm just glad mm -hmm. that this is happening. I'm happy for y'all. Uh, ecstatic. I love the logo. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm so glad that we we have we have such talented people. Um, gosh, I, I love. Uh, I, I honestly feel like we would not have made nearly the splash that we did uh, when we went public if it hadn't been just for just a really cool looking logo. Like <laughs> you see that it doesn't matter whether you're like pro Paizo, anti Paizo, pro union, anti union, pro cobalt, anti cobalt. Like it's just a cool logo. So you're going to want to share and talk about it. And that's that's pretty amazing. So my, my Paizo history is I, I ran Rise of the Rune Lords uh, some years back and I ran mm -hmm. another Pathfinder campaign and I played in a in a Starfinder campaign. So I, I definitely, mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of hardback books from Pies on the yeah. shelf. <laughs> yep. Amongst many other games, it's pretty absurd. Yeah, <laughs> My yeah. books are excessive. I know, I know how that is. Yeah, I joined, <laughs> I joined Paizo after a long time of role-playing and now they give me all of our books. So oh, that's nice. <laughs> I, it's, it's nice to an extent. I have bookshelves that are now full and I don't know where I'm going to put more bookshelves. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. If you. Thanks for uh, having me. This was oh, a treat. No doubt. And, and if you, like I said before, we'd love to have you on again to hear some of the progress in the future, if mm -hmm. you'd be willing to. Yeah. Uh, and if you've, uh, you've been listening, you can find us on Wobblies and Wizards.com or find us on Facebook at Wobblies and Wizards. Uh, just search that and uh, keep those dice rolling. <laughs>